Welcome to It's Your Heart, Protect It, the podcast by the Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly Alliance. In people with diabetes, heart disease and kidney disorders often coexist. The cardio-renal metabolic systems are intimately linked. In this podcast series, we hear from a range of experts involved in the care for people living with these conditions and learn how interconnected systems call for an interconnected approach to care. In January 2020, the World Health Organization, or WHO, declared the outbreak of a new coronavirus disease, COVID-19, to be a public health emergency of international concern. Worldwide lockdowns and social distancing measures put in place as a result of COVID-19 means that life has changed for us all for the time being. This may cause feelings of anxiety, sadness, boredom, loneliness or frustration for a lot of people. It can be very unsettling for those who find themselves in the higher risk categories, including those with diabetes. In this podcast, we will address some of the emotional concerns people who are at a higher risk of severe illness from contracting COVID-19 may be experiencing during this challenging time and provide practical advice that can help those at higher risk navigate through their fears and worries. Hello, my name is Harry Weinfurt. I'm a Dutchman and living for about 55 years now in Germany. I'm a former TV host, but most important to this podcast, I have type 2 diabetes. Today on the podcast, I am joined by clinical psychologist and expert in medical psychology, Susan Clever, who has a wealth of experience in helping people navigate through their fears and worries of suffering with chronic illness. Hello, Susan. Hello, Harry. As this podcast is about the heart, and there is a saying in English, home is where the heart is. And we are currently spending a lot of time at home. What are you enjoying most with the extra time at home? Yes, well, it is funny. To begin with, you have all this extra time and you wonder how to fill it. It's been quite good. I used to do a Sumba course once a week. I don't know if you know what that is. It's kind of dance exercise. And because I was working and I was traveling, um, I could only get there once a week. But now I'm doing it three or four times a week. And also I cook. I like cooking. So I'm doing a little bit more complicated recipes. And what about you, Harry? You've got more time at the moment as everybody has. What are you using the time for? What I'm doing is uh, I had a cooking show on TV and I love to cook, but I start baking all different kinds of bread. That makes me a lot of fun and that is great. But there's another problem. If you want to buy yeast, it's very problematic to get some. Yes, yeast is a thing. Everybody's buying yeast at the moment. Next problem, you don't find any flour. I think we're all having to be a little bit creative at the moment, aren't we? Although I'm not quite sure how you would actually make bread without flour. Yeah, we have to be very creative. But there's one problem. I don't want to forget to mention it. I do a lot of traveling. And I always used to take my medicine directly after breakfast. I always do. And now in this time, we spend a lot of weeks already at home. I figured out one day I took my medicine at two o'clock in the afternoon because I was out of my routine. 
I had my breakfast, for example, not at eight o'clock. I had my breakfast at 11 o'clock. Then I forgot about my medicine. And that, that's the thing what worried me. I think it's really interesting you should say that. I think it shows on the one hand that you really are convinced that it's a good thing to take your medicine. You've accepted it and you've got it into your routine so well that you don't even notice that you're taking it, which is actually a very good sign. But of course, if you don't notice that you're taking your medication because it's so much become part of your life and your routine and the routine changes, how would you ever notice you haven't taken it? Because it's always been, it's just happened. When life goes back to normal again, obviously you you won't have a problem taking it. I wasn't aware of that. That's the first time I've heard that, but I can really see that happening. Listening to the news, I feel anxious about the reporting around COVID-19 and the fact most of the death occurred in people who were in the higher risk category. I am in this category, as are a lot of others. What should we do if the news is making people anxious? Yeah, well, I think this happens to people generally if they spend a lot of time flicking through the news on their phone. And the problem is if you're already worried or stressed, these messages will really get to you in a bad way. I think apart from knowing that you have to be careful not to get or spread the coronavirus, much as anyone else, with or without a pre-existing condition, there's no further information that you really need. Everybody, I think, has their level that they can stay informed but not get too upset. And whether that's once a week or once a day, I think it's best to stay to that and not be constantly in contact with this information. And I think we've really known for ages that rationing your access to the media is better for your mental health. That's right. I uh, stopped looking all the day to the news. I inform myself in the next morning was what happening yesterday, and that's it. I'm aware that people with chronic illnesses already have to deal with numerous stressful experiences and handle anxiety themselves. Can you share any techniques that have worked well? Well, I think it's a lot to do with how you think about things. And people who have experience of chronic illness have two things on their side in this situation. The first one is people with chronic illnesses are very used to living with statistics, which other people aren't. When you have diabetes or heart disease, you get told what the risks are. They're assuming you're a thinking, independent person and that you need reasons to do things. So you get these statistics. It does mean that you were faced with what I would call bad statistics in the sense that they will be saying you have such and such a percent risk of suffering these complications and that might make you feel bad. Now, I've been working with people with diabetes for about 25 years and some, actually very, very few, some people become very anxious because of these statistics and those are people that I will be seeing in the clinic a couple of times. But the majority of people living with diabetes, in my experience, hear the statistics, make the changes that they want to make or that they can make, and then they get on with their lives. And these COVID-19 statistics are just more of the same. Decide what you want to do and then just get on with it. Most people who deal well with diabetes say, I do a lot for my diabetes and I assume it'll be okay. And then they stop thinking about it. Worrying doesn't reduce blood glucose, but a brisk walk around the block might. Plus, any form of exercise is very, very calming for the mind. You can try it out. If you try very brisk walking or jogging, and then while you're doing that, try mental arithmetic. Uh, For example, try multiplying 73 by 28 in your head 
and you find you can't do it. And I think it's important to know statistics are just that. It's important for everybody with or without pre-existing conditions to avoid getting or spreading corona. The second thing on your side is that people with diabetes or heart disease are usually more practiced at looking after themselves. I would hope that everyone with diabetes or heart disease has been offered some form of education about how to look after themselves to avoid further problems. I think they're actually rather unpleasantly named lifestyle changes. And while I'm saying this, I'm doing that thing with your fingers that way, you know, inverted commas. I don't really like the word because it sounds like something that you don't want to do. Sometimes you're not able to do things that you might want to do, like eating crisps or sweets in front of the TV in an evening. It might mean doing things you don't want to do, like going for a walk in the cold rain. If you've got used to that, you've probably been practicing this ability to look after yourself since you learned that you had diabetes or a heart problem. The people who have never had these problems are now having to adjust to life in lockdown, that they can't do what they want to do and that they have to do some things they don't want to do. And they're having to deal with those frustrations. And they have to now learn to be as creative as maybe you've had to be as they work around the limitations of this current situation. How can I stay connected to people while maintaining social distancing? Yeah, I think that's something that we're all finding out at the moment. I find actually that I'm phoning friends more, particularly if I know there's somebody who's having to stay in on their own. And video calls are even better. There's loads of possibilities to keep in contact with people. You can actually see them. Um, what we've actually been doing is we've been contacting friends. We've been arranging to cook identical menus. And then we eat with the laptop open. And it's actually better than you think. I mean, we've we actually spent... Two hours, and it's almost like we visited them. And I think that's what everybody's doing. Yes. <laughs> I must laugh because the whole family Weinford in Holland, in Bavaria, and here, we were all cooking asparagus and potatoes and sauce hollandaise on Sunday, and we were reporting to each other. We didn't do it with the video, Probably we should try that one on as well. <laughs> A nice one. I'm aware that it's not just people at higher risk from COVID-19 that are anxious, but also their families, friends and carers. Have you any advice for them? Well, it's pretty much the same. Don't get over-involved in the statistics. And if you want to be supportive, try out different ways of having fun and relaxing under these new and strange circumstances. I think the difficulty with families is that you will now, unfortunately, be much more aware of what your partner is doing with their diabetes. And this might make you want to become more involved, which could turn nasty. People with chronic illness find family support usually extremely helpful, but... They also hate it when they feel watched and criticized. And even if you don't feel you're being critical, just the idea that you are actually watching what they're doing can feel uncomfortable. The world has now become much smaller as we're reduced to a few rooms. This puts pressure on any family. And this is definitely the wrong time to start an offensive on your partner's diabetes care. If you want to do it, do it. But it's at your own risk. You've been warned. <laughs> There are people I know who have expressed feeling out of control. There is a lot in the world we have no say over right now. What can we control to help to feel less worried? Well, apart from avoiding media, as we've said, I think you have to stick to what you can control. 
social distancing, maybe eating as well as possible under the circumstances, maybe setting yourself little personal challenges with exercise if you're somebody who likes exercise. If you have got time, this might be a time to have a rethink about anything you might like to change in the way you're taking care of your health. But it's definitely the wrong time to start being particularly hard on yourself. I wouldn't advocate letting all your hard work with your self-care go. That would be pointless. But if you find yourself slipping up because you're bored or frustrated at being cooped up, I mean, you are cooped up with previously loved family members. And you might remember that lovely daughter you waved off to school every day who's now at home all the time and you're beginning to feel that she's out to get you. So this kind of frustration, the boredom, you might find that you're slipping up. And I think there's a lot to be said for reminding yourself. And this is, I think, generally always helpful when you're dealing with health problems that involve self-care. We all have finite resources of self-control. You can only pull yourself together so much and so often before your strength runs out. So if you find it's not going that well, forgive yourself. It happens. Move on. The very good thing about diabetes is that even if your blood glucose was too high yesterday, it can be really good today. There isn't like a kind of a sticking point where it doesn't go back down again. In your experience, what are the best practical tools and tips People could use it to navigate through this uncertain time. Is there anything else you would like to share as people go through this uncharted territory? Well, I think if you find that you're worrying a lot and it's really getting you down, I think if you're going to worry, worry professionally. None of this sort of amateurish worrying and bits and bobs through the whole day. And, and this is my particular favorite, Definitely don't worry in the middle of the night. There's something about if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're lying down and it's dark, your worries seem much, much worse and you feel completely flooded with anxiety. You feel you can't cope with it. And that's basically because you're lying down and it's dark. We tend to regress psychologically at night. So everything seems much worse. It's almost like you're six years old and you're having to worry about things uh, that, of course, a six-year-old can't cope with. Now, a professional worrier worries only when he slept, when he's had a coffee or a cup of tea and breakfast, when he's at his best. He or she sits down with a piece of paper and writes down his worries. And what you find is if you write them down, you'll notice that they're finite. If you worry in your head, you keep repeating the same thought, then you find it's making you anxious, so you avoid it, and then you repeat it again. Rinse and repeat. If you write it down, you'll notice that eventually you've written all your worries down and that you've actually finished the list. And the recommendation generally would be to worry for 30 minutes, uh, which is actually longer than you think it is. And you might actually find you're getting bored halfway through, which is very good. And then stop. Do something completely different. And if you find your mind drifting off into worries again, remind yourself that you have a slot, say nine o'clock in the morning, and that you will only worry then. And I recommend this, for example, when I'm, I'm working with people who have beginning diabetic complications, maybe something going a bit wrong with their eyes or their feet. And some people become very, very anxious um, and they're always checking and thinking about it. And I recommend this to them. And what they all say, what you will find is that after a couple of days, most people find that the worrying thoughts that they've been practicing so well are occurring much less and that they're only worrying at that particular time. The rest of the day is free for everything else that you want to do.
Harry, we've been talking about the kind of things that I have about this subject. Would it be okay for me to ask you how do you feel as a person living with a pre-existing condition in the current climate? Um, has the COVID-19 pandemic made you feel more anxious about living with type 2 diabetes? In the very beginning of the pandemic, yes. Because this information about this pandemic was overflowing me. And I said, oh my God, I'm in a critical situation and a dangerous situation. So what I did, I put myself, first of all, in a 14 days quarantine because I had to pick up my friend in Ischgl, what was the center of coronavirus. Ischgl's a skiing area in Austria, is that right? Right, and that was the epicenter where the most of British, Icelandic, Germans, French, Dutch people go there for skiing and partying, get infected. I went there on Monday morning to pick her up, so I spent a half an hour in Ischgl, and I came back, and then we start to get the information on Tuesday. There was an outbreak of the coronavirus in Ischgl, the two friends uh, she was with in uh, Ischgl, they became very sick and they came back two days earlier, as supposed, and they were both infected with corona. So I was quite anxious about the fact that Iris uh, could also have this coronavirus. And um, so we stayed in a self-quarantine and it seems to be that we or get a very light version or we didn't get it at all. But I was very scared. So basically, to begin with, a lot of anxiety. But then you found a way around that so that you're doing you seem to be doing a lot to keep yourself safe. But it seems that once you've adapted to this, that you're not as anxious as you were to begin with. That's right. So you got used to it. And we find out, actually, that there are a lot of things we don't need. We went out for dinner two or three times a week in the past. We don't do now anymore. We love to cook. We love to be in the dining room on the terrace outside. What we miss, and that I must say, is meet the friends we have sitting around the table and have talk. That's what I'm real missing. But we do more by telephone, video conference every week, what we didn't do before. And my sister lives in Stuttgart, my brother lives in Frankfurt, another sister in Holland. So we have only once a year a meeting with all the family on my place. But this time we have a weekly video conference, what is very, very nice. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm finding the contact with other people has become so much more important and you start to enjoy just a video conference, whereas it used to be a big meal and having people around. But I think the contact with other people has become much, much more valuable. I can understand that. I'm finding that as well. A lot of stuff that I used to do at the weekend, it would be, are we going to the theatre? Are we going to the cinema? Who are we going to meet up with? That's all stopped. It's almost like stress reduction, although you wouldn't think it. And the actual contact of people becomes so much more valuable. And there's also another thing what I have done, and, and that might show you that I was very anxious. So I have now for at least three months off for my medication. That's a really important point. At the beginning, just before all this kicked off, that was one of the things that they weren't mentioning. But I think if you have a chronic illness, you do have to think about how am I going to get 
my medication. We're doing video consultations and sending the prescriptions home to the people. So, yeah. And it seems like you've had anxiety to begin with, but that you're actually dealing with it quite well. Um, Do you know other people who are facing um, conditions like heart disease or diabetes who maybe have different anxieties and worries or who are finding it more difficult to deal with it? As I talk to people who have uh, the same problems as I have, it's an all-over-the-world disease. What we have, type 2 diabetes, they are not going out. They are doing their social distancing. Social distancing is very, very important and vital to everybody on the street. Even if it's not you, but you can pass it on to your parents or grandparents. Yeah, that's a horrible thought. It doesn't matter whether you you yourself actually have a pre-existing condition and you want to be particularly careful to protect yourself or whether you're doing it not to spread it to other people. I don't think that really makes any difference. I just think it's it's a respectful way of dealing with this situation. What I'm hearing from what you're saying is that people seem to be having phases where they're getting worried and anxious, and then they're making their decisions, like, I'm going to be very strict with social distancing for myself, and then they seem to be getting on with it. Or do you know anybody who's still very hung up, very anxious, who isn't sleeping because of anxiety, or is that not the case? Yeah, I know somebody, and she's very scared to get infected. For her, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, we try to keep contact, talking to her and phoning her and say, if you stay home, you're safe. Don't worry. Don't get contact. And what is very important, and that must be, you see, also soap is plenty in the supermarkets. So that means wash your hands and take your time. You've got plenty of time anyhow. Um, Can I ask your family and friends, people who maybe don't have a pre-existing condition themselves, but people who know you or know other people, are you finding that family and friends are reacting differently to the pandemic? Are Are they worrying about you? Are they phoning you more? Yes, I receive more phone calls from friends and, and relatives, business partners. And, and what I find out is that if we write each other via Skype or via Facebook, in the past it was greetings, John, greetings, Maria, and now it's stay healthy. So it changed. Everybody wishes each other or the other person or the other side stay healthy. That changed. Yeah, I think if something positive comes out of this, that maybe people are more caring of each other, that they value more personal contact. Most people have smartphones. Flick through your phone or if you have an address book, um, just go through the address book. Is there anybody that you know who could be living alone or who might have an illness where they might be particularly worried? And I think those are the people we need to be contacting. Well, thank you, Harry. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Yeah, well, I have to thank you very much for all your information to give to us. Um, Do you like to add something before we finish? I think my main message would be that if you're feeling anxious at the moment, you're definitely not alone. Perfectly normal when you get bits of information, statistics to probably feel a bit anxious for a bit. But there are lots of ways of dealing with it. Try things out, play around with it and stay creative. Susan Clever, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Harry. 
You've been listening to the It's Your Heart, Protect It, the podcast by the Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly Alliance episode on navigating through anxiety during COVID-19, where Harry Weinfurt was joined by clinical psychologist Susan Clever. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow to listen to our next episode.